Well, just for a few weeks, I want to take us back to a specific time and ask you to rethink, if you will, those first days, weeks, months, maybe even the first year that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Can you remember? I want you to go back and what were the circumstances? What was the situation? Who did God use? What was the impression that came upon you? If you've had that experience, if you have truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what was it like? And I want to ask questions. The type of questions that will lead you yet to other questions. I mean, I want us to think about Questions concerning salvation. Can you even see that? You can see it. There you go. Questions. Because I think questions are important. And I think one of the biggest questions that a lot of us have to face is why? Why did you do it? Why did you become a follower of Jesus Christ? If you can remember that circumstance in your life, if you can remember that situation where you were impressed upon the need to, to put your faith in Christ, why did you do it? I mean, seriously, ask yourself why. Why did you do it? Did you just not want to go to hell? I mean, was it the best escape hell plan that you could come up with? I mean, seriously, there are a lot of people who think, well, hey, you know, I do this just because I don't want to go to hell. I mean, hell is a bad place. I don't want to go there. So I just, I guess I'll say this prayer. And if I say this prayer, I won't have to go there and I'm just set for life. You see, that's not a real good reason to put your faith and trust in Jesus. I know some of you will disagree with me on that, but that's not the best reason to turn to Jesus. It may be a good reason, but it ain't the best reason. Some of you like, oh my goodness, where's he going? No, hold on. Or, did you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because you realize just how much He loved you? I mean, that's a huge reason to me. More than just not wanting to go to hell, there is a God who loved us so much I mean so much that He would leave the splendor of heaven to come down to earth to live as Jesus Christ in the flesh, to live His life, to to be tempted in every way like we are as men and women and people, and yet never sin so that He could be the perfect sinless sacrifice. And one day He would shed His blood for our sin so that one day we could spend eternity in heaven with Him but have a relationship with Him. Is that a better reason? I think it's a far better reason than just not wanting to go to hell. But why did you do it? If you have. And if you haven't, we're going to talk about that too. But the reality is, I think it's a great question to ask. Why? Why is a huge, huge question that every one of us has to someday, at least in our minds, figure out. And then if you do love Jesus, and if you have considered His love for you, and you're putting your faith and trust in Him, then there's this whole concept of church. I mean, why in the world would He even have this concept? 
I mean, I think there's a lot of people who wake up every Sunday morning. I know a lot of people who used to wake up every Sunday morning and come to church, and now it's today. It's, it's not of any importance, any value, any significance in their life, and it's just another part of the weekend that I can do whatever I want with. But if we do know Jesus, why in the world would we want to come to church when there's a million other things we could do? See, we kind of equated coming to a building as church when we are the church and should be going out, but we look at it as coming in. But the reality is we kind of equate it with this. And so the question is, why do we have this gathering? Why? I think that's another huge question that we have to wonder. Why do we come to church? Is it just to catch up with friends? Is it to catch up on who's doing what and who's going where? I mean, did you hear so-and-so just got a new car? Yeah, how'd they do that? I mean, I didn't think they made enough money for that kind of car. It's the latest place to catch up on stuff. And trust me, I've heard every conversation there is to have along those lines. But why do you come to church? Is it because you've been captivated by the love of God and you want to grow? I mean, is it really to see what you can learn from God's Word and... Man, I just, I'm not gonna go to that church anymore. I just don't understand anything that pastor says and he just doesn't make any sense to me and I'm just, I just not being fed there. I've heard that one. You probably said it about me one time or another. I don't know. It is probably true. But the reality is we come to church with an expectation that even if I don't like that speaker, even if I don't like how that guy preaches, even if he can't keep my attention, is am I going to church with the idea that God's going to teach me something that I can take with me throughout this week and challenge me to draw closer to Him, be more obedient, to walk more in righteousness and holiness before God, or is it just because I just, you know, i got nothing better to do. That's what we do on Sundays. Do I go to maybe learn areas that I can serve in? You see, answering why with all these questions tells us a lot about who we are, our motives, and our heart. It's really true. The answer to this question tells us a lot about who we are before God, our motives, and our heart. And so I want to go on by asking another question. Why did Jesus come? Why did He come? And in your mind, I know automatically you're starting to think, well, He did this, He came to do that, and it's just salvation, carte blanche, and boom, done, over. This is really simple, and why are we wasting time on this? Once again, answering why tells us a lot about our motives and our heart for God. So I want to start with just a couple of questions. First one is, why did Jesus come? Why did He come? I want us to think about that just for a moment. We've heard stories that there is a God in heaven who had a son named Jesus, and He came down to this earth, He died on a cross, He shed His blood, He was tortured before man that He would say to pay the sin price, and so that we could one day ask for forgiveness of sins and have Jesus come into our lives and save us, and we put our faith and trust in Him, so boom, done. Is there more to it than that? I think a lot of it comes down to this right here. You know the first verse, but are you considering the second verse? You see, in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's probably one of the most famous verses that any one of us has ever heard in our lives. We've heard it 10,000 times. And even the world, you know, you go to sporting events and somebody's holding up a sign that says John 3.16. They're familiar with it, though they don't understand it or know what it means, but they're familiar. It's a famous verse that Jesus came down to this earth, that He died on a cross, that He shed His blood, that whosoever, that really does mean whosoever can put their trust in Him and become a child of God. That is so awesome. But then there's verse 17 that tells us a little bit more of the motive. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. And I want to just stop and park there just for a moment because I'm going to come back to this towards the end of the message. But if Jesus did not come to condemn the world, why is it that Christians are noted for their condemnation to anybody that's not just like them? That's a huge point. I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit. But God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might what? Be saved. That was the whole point of Him coming, is that He could reach out to a lost and dying world that is, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, going to spend eternity in hell so that they might know a relationship with Jesus Christ. They might know His love for them. And that's huge. You see, if the world comes comes to salvation, if seeing the world come to salvation was important to Jesus, shouldn't that also be important to us? Let me ask you again. If, if, if seeing the world come to a relationship with Jesus was important to Him, should it not be important to us? Yes. Thank you. So then that begs this question. What are we doing about it? You see, once again, the answering why of these questions tells us a lot about our motives and our hearts. If we can know the right answers and yet not obey the answers, there's a problem, there's a disconnect, and there's something broken that needs to be fixed. If sharing the hope of salvation is of importance to you, who knows that you're a child of God? Who knows? Does your neighbor know that you love Jesus? Does your coworker or coworkers know that you love Jesus? I would dare say that most of us, and I'm putting two hands and a foot involved because I need to stand on one. Oh, I can sit on. There we go. It's both. I would dare say most people know know us for what we are against more than what we are for. Say, is that necessarily a bad thing? Not in every circumstance. But if that's all they know us for, oh, he's a Christian. He doesn't like playing cards. He doesn't go to movies. He doesn't, he doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He, oh, he's really strict. He's one of those weird ones. If we are more known for what we don't do than what we believe and do, there's a disconnect that needs to be fixed. And if we say that we love Jesus, but don't care about our neighbor going to hell, something's wrong. The why tells us about our motives and our heart for the Lord. So think back to the moment when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Was there a load lifted? Was there an excitement because now you know you're going to spend eternity with our Savior? 
Was there a joy in your heart that you realize that you couldn't save yourself and that Jesus loved us so much that he sent his son to take care of the, the price to pay, you know, he was the sacrifice, he paid the price that we couldn't pay, and I'm so excited about that? Have you lost the joy? Have you lost the wonder of it all? Have you lost the remembrance of what it was like to put your faith and trust in Jesus and to realize that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And now you have, you have the ability to overcome sin, temptation, and the devil because of who lives within you. Have we forgotten? If you have the hope of salvation, wouldn't it be great if many, many others had that same hope? Yes. It would be. There's another verse. In John, you should write these verses down. They're good verses. 18.37. John 18.37, Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am King. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Now listen, let me just talk, talk, sidestep just for a moment. I could find 20 reasons why Jesus Christ came. I just picked a couple. These are not all-inclusive. I just want you to draw your attention to a couple of them. But he says, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. That verse says two things that really jump off the page to me. Number one, he says, I am come to bear witness of truth. I am come to bear witness of of truth. And number two, he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. If you know the truth, you should hear God speaking to you. And you get this statement every now and again. Someone says, well, I read my Bible and I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I just don't know what God's trying to say to me. Or pray and I don't hear him speak back. I pray and I just don't feel like he hears or listens or answers my prayers. Anybody ever felt that way? I, I felt that way before. I want to know why certain things aren't happening. I want to know why certain things are happening that I just think I might know better than God in some of these areas. Shame on me. But there's times I feel like, where is he? But generally speaking, I know that when I look at God's word and I read it, he speaks. And I know, not because I feel it, but because I factually know it, that when I'm praying to God, He's listening. You can't live, by light, live our lives by feeling. You live by fact. And He says two things. I've come to bear witness of the truth. And if it was important for Jesus Christ to come down to this earth to bear witness of the truth, should not that be important to us? That can take on a lot of different forms, but generally speaking, we should bear witness, which means to reflect truth. How we live, how we live everyday life can either impact someone for eternity Positively or negatively? How we live life has the ability to either impact them positively or negatively. 
So when your name is mentioned, or my name for that matter, at work, to your neighbor, to your friend, co-worker, relative, would they say you're reflecting truth? Or not? Because if we don't reflect truth as He wants us to reflect truth, if it was important to Him, it ought to be important to us, right? We agree there. If we're not reflecting truth, what are we reflecting? And are you hearing His voice? He says in that verse, everyone who is of the truth, if you know the truth, says they hear My voice. Are you hearing his voice? And this is how he speaks. And if you're not in it, you're not hearing it. There's no shortcuts, folks. No shortcuts. The whole idea behind bearing witness is to reflect. What are we a reflection of? Are we a reflection of our favorite hobbies? Is that what we're known for? Are we a reflection of what we agree on or disagree on as far as politics? Is that what we're known for? Is that what we're reflecting? What party we're a part of or what belief system we hold to? Are we a reflection of the sporting events that take place around us? Because that's what we talk about and reflect in our conversations and our manner of living. Who are we a reflection of? Is it a reflection of the truth? And once again, you might be asking why we're asking why. It's so important. Because I'm afraid that some of us have forgotten the very purposes for which Jesus has called us to Himself. How do I know that? Because we're too busy living life the way we want to live it rather than the way God wants us to live it. And I say that categorically of the church of Jesus Christ. Not just our church, but churches across the country. Churches across the world. We are living in unprecedented times. How many would agree with that? We've never seen a day and age in which these circumstances are taking place to the extent that they're taking place. And we're just kind of like, oh well, (laughs) we don't like it, we gripe about it, complain about it, but we don't really act upon it. If there's ever been a time in our world where people need hope, I would dare say it's now. I would dare say it's now, right now. And we have the hope. And I'm afraid some of us have forgotten the purposes for why which, for which Jesus came to this earth. If it was important for Jesus to come to this earth to call sinners to repentance, should it not be part of our purpose? But we're too busy doing everything else. Too busy talking about everything else. Too busy doing everything else. If it doesn't have the purpose for which we are called here to be a part of, which is building relationships so we can invite them to the most important relationship, we're missing the boat, folks. We're missing the boat. Because we can get caught up in a lot of different things. A lot of different areas. I'm guilty. I'm telling you. It is so easy to be distracted by stuff that doesn't matter. It really is. I get so irritated some days that I end up doing so many things on a to-do list that I didn't get time to spend time with God. It drives me nuts some days. say, well, it's because you're a pastor. No, it's because I have a relationship with Jesus and I want to spend time with Him. And things get in the way of that. Does that even matter to some of us? 
Because we forgot the wonder of what it was like to come to know Jesus. And the fact that you are no longer on your way to hell, that you're now going to spend eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior who loved us so much that He died on the cross for us. We forgot the wonder of it all. It's just not that big a deal anymore. It's old hat. That's yesterday's news. We've moved on. I'm afraid some of us have forgotten the wonder of the wonders that Jesus loves and cares for us. And this is what I was going to say too, coming from last Thursday night's men's Bible study. As much as Satan may want you, God wants you more. That's huge. Think about that for a minute. As much as Satan may want you to fall, to stumble, to fail, to lose ground, as much as Satan may want to discourage you, God wants you more. Say that with me. God wants you more. He loves you. Satan don't love you. He does not care if you succeed. He does not care if you uh, do anything successful in your life. He wants to see you fail. But He loves you so much, Jesus does. And I'm afraid that some of us have forgotten the commitment that we made to live for Jesus when we put our trust in Him and Him alone. And we're no longer concerned about sharing the love of Jesus with the lost. We're no longer concerned about bearing witness to the truth and hearing His voice. You say, are these really important things? Yes, they are. Because the why determines our motives and our heart before God. Why did you come to Him? Was it just an escape? Or is it because you realized and are in awe and wonder of what He did for you? So we asked the question why as we started in the message today. Why did you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? But I also want to ask one more question. Why did Jesus save you? Why did Jesus save you? Have you thought about that? You may have a reason why you put your faith and trust in Him. It may be a great reason. It may not be a great reason. But you have a reason. But have you thought about why Jesus saved you? I'm glad you asked that question because it's going to really speak to us here. First one is Isaiah. You should write these down. These are good. 43.7 Isaiah 43.7 says this, Everyone who is called by My name, whom I have, recre- uh, whom I have created for My glory... I have informed him. Yes, I have made him. He says, I have created man for my glory. Just think about that for a minute. Merriam-Webster says that the definition of glory is this. Public praise, honor, fame. Or, according to Merriam-Webster, something that brings praise on another. That's glory. So in other words, God says, I have created you that you would give me public praise, public honor, public fame, and that you would bring praise to me through your life. In other words, the the equation that it gives us in Merriam-Webster was that of being presented a trophy. We are being a trophy for the Lord by bringing glory to Him. Does that not change how we should live? 
I mean, I dare say that most of us in this congregation have talked about what's going on in politics and what's going on in the news sometime this week. I have. I dare say that most of us in this room, or at least half of us, have talked about what's happened in some sporting event sometime this week. I dare say that most of us in this room at some point have talked about what's taking place in our families. The relatives, the cousins, the aunts, the uncles, the children, the grandchildren. We've talked about that and we've worn that subject out. But have we talked about giving God the praise, the honor, the glory, the fame due His name? See, why does that matter? It matters because that's why He created you. To give Him glory. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it to the what? Glory of God. That's why He created you. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, For Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. He created you to bring Him pleasure. Does our thought life give God pleasure? Do our actions give God pleasure? Do our reputations give God pleasure? Is He getting pleasure through the life that He has created and given to us? Or have we forgotten what it's like? Isaiah 43.21 says, This people I have formed for Myself. Why? That they shall declare My praise. Praise is an interesting word. We all have an idea within the context of church what praise means. At least we think we do. We've heard that word for years, right? Praise God. Let's give all God the praise, right? We, we, we talk about that. But do you realize that the word praise actually means to express favorable judgment? How can favor and judgment be in the same sentence? That doesn't make any sense in my pity mind. Favorable judgment. In other words, it's been scrutinized. It's been carefully observed and studied and analyzed and we've come to a conclusion that it's favorable. The judgment has the idea of scrutiny and observation and examination. And then the conclusion is that it's favorable. Isn't that cool? That's a different idea for the idea of praise or for the word praise. In other words, it's a declaration of commendation. He says, this people, my people, I have formed for Myself that they shall declare My praise. That they would come to a favorable judgment. That they would have a declaration of commendation for who I am as their God. How about Ephesians? Here's one that you know very well. Ephesians 2.10 For we, those of us that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, are His workmanship. Now just think about that word workmanship. You were formed. Created. And God don't make junk. Right? I mean, let me just ask a question. Is a prosthetic knee 
as good as the original? Is the Jarvis heart as good as the one God made? Are, are the artificial lungs as good as what Jesus made? No. You see, man can do a lot of things, but man can't touch what God has made. He did not create anything that was not worthy. And when you think about that, he says, you are my workmanship. God loves you. And he made you with the best of intentions. For good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Another purpose that God made you? To do his good works. Question. I'm just reading the verse and asking a question. Are you doing good works? You and God know the answer. I, I, I'm not the mouse in your house. I'm not the fly on your wall of your house. But are you doing good works? I say, why are you asking me, Mr. Nosy? <laughs> you can ask me the same question. I'll tell you, there's days I struggle. And there's days I think I do pretty good. And other days that, man, I missed the mark. I failed miserably today. Talk to my kids. I'll tell you. I'm trying. But I'm thankful for a God who's patient and loving and forgiving and long-suffering. I'm thankful for a God that's merciful and gracious because He doesn't... He knows I can't be perfect. I've made too many mistakes. I can't go back on that one. But I'm trying. But how does God know us concerning our workmanship? He said, I created you for good works that you should walk in them. Are you walking in good works? Here's another one. It's a cool verse. Titus 2.14 Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed. And here it is. God saying about you His people that He would purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works god created you to be his own special people isn't that cool that's awesome that god created you with the purpose of being his special family member ecclesiastes you can read that one. Twelve, thirteen. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. <laughs> Fear God. Are you fearing God? Keep His commands. He says, for this is all. Think about that. Do you fear God? Do you have a reverential respect and awe and fear for who God is and what He's done? Every once in a while as I'm sitting, I don't know about you, but if I... Confession time here. If I'm... If I'm, I'm one of those guys, I can't go to bed early. If I go to bed at 9 o'clock, I'm up at 3 if I go to bed at 9.45, 10.30, I'm up at 4. I just I have so many hours and I'm done. Anybody else like that? So rather than getting up in the middle of the night, I just go to bed late. 
don't call that late, but I don't go to bed till midnight every night. At midnight, I go to sleep every every night. Midnight. It's just how I am. If I go to bed before midnight, I'm up in the middle of the night and I'm just wide awake. So I just midnight. But you know, every once in a while at eleven o'clock, you know what's on the crime scene investigation shows, right? I mean, think about this. It's the uh, shows about the kids who are, you know, child killers or, you know, whatever on Discovery or whatever, A&E or something, you know. You watch these things, and there's something that just stands out to me. The blatant disrespect and hatefulness of these teen killers and young men who are caught red-handed in murder scenes and so forth, who blatantly openly, harshly disrespect the authority in front of them. It's just blatant. They'll look right at a guy and say, we have video of you shooting your gun and killing that man. He goes, I didn't do it. Lie? He goes, dude, we got you on video. You're caught red-handed. wasn't me. And they ask them questions, they're like, don't answer. Just the blatant disrespect. The blatant hatefulness towards authority. Why? There is no fear of God anymore. There is no fear for so many people for the very God who created them. And it filters down to almost every aspect of life. There's no fear for authority. No fear or respect for parents. No fear or respect for uh, people in positions of authority at workplaces. You can't make me do that. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. And oftentimes there's just no consequence, so that just perpetuates the same disrespect. He says, listen, I love this verse. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is man's all. That's how he simply puts it. This is the whole duty of man. Mankind. This is what God wants of us. Keep His commandments. God's Word says, if you love me, John 13, I believe it is. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Right? So if I'm not keeping His commands, what's that say about my love to God? Is that not also equally true? If I'm not keeping His commandments, if I'm not walking in obedience, it says I really don't love Him. First Samuel 12. 24, we're almost done. It says, only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. Why? For consider what great things He has done for you. For consider what great things He has done for you. If you are a recipient of God's salvation, if you are a recipient of His love, if you are a recipient of His patience, if you are a recipient of His grace, if you're a recipient of His mercy, if you're a recipient of anything that God has ever done for you, 
He says, for consider what great things He has done for you and serve Him in truth with all your heart. God created you to serve Him. And most of the time, we're just busy. Let's just be honest. We're serving our own needs. It's true. And I, I, I just want you to know this morning, I'm not preaching at you. Remember, we point the finger, i got three coming back at me, right? I'm telling you, it is a struggle for all of us. I'm telling you, we all need these reminders. Amen? I'm telling you, we all need to work on this. Micah 6.8 You should look up these verses. These are the good verses. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He wants you to do justly. I don't know about you, but when people tick me off, I want revenge. My flesh wants to get even. When a dude cuts, you know, speeds up and slows down in front of me, I want to get around him and let him know that he just irritated me. Someone said, lower your expectations. No! <laughs> Figure out yours. Get it right. Learn how to drive. Put that license back in the Cracker Jack box where you got it. That's my flesh. To do justly? No. I don't want to do justly. My flesh wants to let you know I'm right and you're not. And he says, I love mercy. Mercy? (laughs) What do you say in Karate Kid? Mercy's for the weak. (laughs) I don't want to... But God calls us to be merciful people as He has been merciful to us. A couple of weeks ago, I told somebody, if you're not willing to forgive, God says in His Word, if you're not willing to forgive, neither is your Father in Heaven going to forgive you. You want God's forgiveness, you better display forgiveness. If you want God's mercy, you better also practice God's mercy. And then to walk humbly with your God. Do we walk with God? It's not a 50-yard dash, folks. You ain't never in in this lifetime while I've got red blood in me and breathing and ever going to catch me running a marathon. But the Christian life is a marathon, not a race. Not a 50-yard dash. Better pace yourself and keep going. Determine you're not going to quit. Walk humbly. He didn't say run. He didn't say sprint. He said walk humbly. With your God. Every day is a new journey. Every day is another path. Every day is another opportunity. Two more verses and we're done. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why did He create you? so that you would let your light shine before men. I want to just talk about this little thing just for a minute. I don't know if you can read my scribble, my hieroglyphics, but there it is. Love versus acceptance. This subject has come up quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. God has called us to love even our enemies. 
don't know about you, but I feel like there's a lot of people we could consider enemies. Anybody agree? I think there's a lot of people out there that if we were just like taking a human perspective, yeah, they're my enemy. I want to deck them. They're jerks. They don't got a brain. They they were born without. And we can justify, rationalize, excuse it. But nonetheless, God says what? Love them. Well, they are transgender. Mm Mm-hmm. They're Democrat. Or Republican. They hate the Second Amendment. They're trying to take away my First Amendment. Well, don't you know they're homosexual? I can't can't believe they stand there. Right. What do you expect of people to be identical to you? They're anti-vax. They use ivermectin. No. (laughs) Right? There's all these different people. And God calls us to love. But see, here's what we mess up in our minds. We equate love from a human perspective with acceptance. If I love them, that means I have to accept everything they do. No, you don't. There are people that I know and am friends with that are homosexual. I don't care for that aspect of their life. I think it's unbiblical. But here's the thing. They know I love them. They call me at 3 in the morning. Guess what? I'm going to do what I can to help them. If their car is broken down in the, on, on the side of 390 at 3 in the morning, I'm going to go help them. Because love and acceptance are two different things. And if you don't love the world because you are trying to equate love and acceptance, you're missing the boat. People are going to be different than you. Some of you can't handle that. And you need to. I think one of the hardest things for a parent, and some of you have experienced this, or for a grandparent, is to see a sinful pattern in the life of your loved one, your son, your daughter, your grandson, granddaughter. And in your flesh, you're battling the reconciliation of loving them without accepting what they're doing. That is hard. But according to God's Word, you ought to love them and keep living out the Gospel in their lives. But that doesn't mean you have to accept where they stand. They're two different things. And Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Do they see your anger and hostility and resentment and disagreement? Or do they see your love? Because God has called you and purposed you to let your light shine. And then when they see your good works... To glorify your Father in heaven. I have people who say, I know where he stands, but I know that he cares for me. That ought to be our testimony. One more. 
Matthew 22, 37-39. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Just stop right there. Just stop just for a moment. And I want you to be honest with yourself before God because He knows the answer to this anyway. Is that how you love God? Do you love God with all your heart? Or have you forgot the wonder of wonders that He loved you and saved you? Do you love Him with all your soul, with all your being, with all your mind? Do you think about Him? You see, I don't know about you, but I love my wife. God knows I, I don't deserve what I've gotten in her. And neither do most of you men, by the way. Just saying. But my wife has been so incredibly stinking awesome. She has been patient for the last 27 years. Partly because she said she doesn't have time to train another one, but um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, nothing from the peanut gallery. Um, but I'm just telling you, at this stage in my life, I'm just being honest. I live for the weekends because I know I get to spend it with her. Don't call me on Friday night unless it's an extreme death or life case of emergency because I'm going out with my wife on Friday night. I look forward to that every Friday night. Even if we have a knockdown drag out on Tuesday, I'm still looking forward to Friday night because we're going, we're going to have to spend time together. We didn't have any lately, by the way. But the reality is I cannot wait for Friday nights. Don, do you wait, do you look forward to Friday nights? I'm just telling you. Why? Because every year that I'm with her becomes sweeter than the year before. Every day becomes sweeter than the day before. I, I wouldn't want that childish, pitiful, what we called love back in 94 when we got started, today. Love has matured. It has grown. I've watched her show grace and mercy, partly because her friend Denise said, you need to show Ken a grace card. She was right. I could kiss her for that. Her feet anyway. There are just times we as men need a grace card thrown because we don't care how many amount of chips you, chips you build in that pile, you're going to wipe them out in one foul swoop. I'm just telling you. On an earthly level, the relationship with my wife is the sweetest thing I have. But let me ask you a question. Why is that love grown? We spend time together. We talk together. We've gone through hurts together. We've gone through times of excitement together. We have depended on each other. We have helped each other. We have lifted each other up when we've been sick and when we've not been sick. In every moment that we're together, when we humble ourselves and truly try to show love and respect and grace and mercy, that relationship gets stronger. Question. Why would it be any different than our relationship with God? Why? The more you spend time in His Word and He talks to you, 
the more you spend time in prayer talking to Him, the stronger the communication, the stronger the relationship. And guys, gals, there is no shortcut. That's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says this is the first and great commandment. I could say that I love my wife, but if I don't spend time with her, if I don't help her, encourage her, lift her up, meet her needs, if I don't, I, I can say something to him blue in the face, but if my actions don't back it up, what's it say about my love? It's really non existent. I can say that I love God, but if my life doesn't back it up, it's worthless. Actions speak louder than words. And then he says, verse 39, and the second is like to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we want to have an impact in this world, listen to this. If you are going to have any impact in this world, we've got to get back to living out the purposes for which He created us. Because I'm just telling you, Distractions come every day. Every day we have options to do everything else but spend time in God's Word. But to spend time in prayer. But to talk to others about Jesus. But to live out our faith and do good works. We have distractions every day. They're all around us. We don't even have to go searching for them. Anybody agree? They're right there. Readily available. If you you just snag one. But if we're going to have an impact in this world, we've got to get back to the purposes for which Jesus saved us. The very purposes for which He made us His people. I don't know about you, but I need these reminders. In this day and age specifically that we live in, I can't stand what's going on around me. It drives me nuts. If I focus on it, I just go berserk. That's why I need the reminders to get back into focus. Get back to what God has called us to. I shouldn't be old enough to remember this, but those of you that are older than I, remember Red Arbach? Coach, great famous basketball coach. With this I'll close. He said, this is a ball. It's got rubber on the inside and leather on the outside. If you bounce it, it will come back up to you. What was he saying? Get back to the basics. There is nothing in this message that I shared with you today that you have not heard your entire life if you've been in church. Right? But yet we need the reminder. Lord God, I pray that You would speak to our hearts. I ask God that You would help us, Lord, to come back to the sense of awe and wonder and love that we once understood when You saved us. And Lord, I, I truly honestly pray, Lord, if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know You as their Savior, that they have not experienced the love that You have for them through the cross of Calvary, that today would be a day of salvation for them, that they would truly know what it means to know You. It's the most important decision any of us could ever make in this lifetime is to know You and to have a relationship with You. 
So I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just I just want to leave you with two questions today. The first question is this. Do you know Jesus? Do you have the certainty that if you were to die today that you would spend eternity in heaven? There is, according to God's Word, if you believe the Bible at all, God's Word says there is a literal heaven, which is easy for many of us to believe. But it also says there is a literal hell, a lake of fire and brimstone. And it says in God's Word that if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, hell will be your eternal destination. And by the way, hell was created for Satan, not for a sinner, not for his children. But the consequence of not putting your faith and trust in Christ is eternity in hell. Maybe this morning you're saying, Pastor, I just don't know. Let me just tell you, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one's looking around, just a simple question. Are you concerned about that? If you don't know Jesus, I would be concerned about that. If you're not sure that when you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven, I would be concerned about that. But the reality is this. You can know Him. I'll not embarrass you, not call you out. I've never done that ever in the history of my 27 years as a pastor. I'll not embarrass you. But if you're concerned and you're just not sure and you're concerned about whether or not you know Jesus, whether or not you'll spend eternity in heaven, would you just simply lift your hand and if I can pray for you? I'll not embarrass you, not call you out, but you just simply say, I'm not sure. Anyone like that this morning? Or just look up at me, catch my eye so I can just pray. I'll not embarrass you. Say, I'm concerned, Pastor. I just don't know. Anyone like that this morning? Then the second question then is this. Are you living out the purposes for which Jesus saved you? Are you living out those purposes? I mean, just think about that. To bring glory to God. To bring praise to Him. Favorable judgment. A declaration of commendation. Are you living out good works? Are you fearing God, keeping His commandments? Are you serving Him in truth with all your heart? Are you walking justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with your God? Are you letting your light shine? Do you love God and love your neighbors as you you ought? Are you living out the purposes for which He saved you? Say, Pastor Ken, if I'm honest with myself, God knows my heart. There's some things I need to improve in. I need to get back to the purposes. Pray for me. Yes. 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 All around the auditorium. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes. Can I just challenge you? Yes, in the back and the side, yes. Right there where you're at, in your seat right now, just take a moment and pray. God's Word tells us in James, to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And so if there are some things that you should be doing that you're not, just simply say, God, I'm sorry. And help me, God, to walk in obedience. Help me to fulfill the purposes for which you created me and saved me. Just take a moment and pray right there where you're at. And God's Word is so clear. First John 1 nine says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just take a moment right there where you're at and say, God, forgive me. Help me to fulfill Your purpose. Just take a moment and 
talk with God. And that whole idea of loving versus acceptance, there's some people that need to know that you love them. If you're going to have an impact on their life, you better start loving them as God ought to. God is impressed upon us to love them. It doesn't mean you have to accept them and what they're doing, but you got to love them if you're going to have an impact on them. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, can I just invite us all to stand as we close? We're going to sing a closing song. And then we're going to give you a couple of announcements. But let's just take a moment. Lord, all across the auditorium this morning, Lord, you've challenged us. You've convicted us. You've impressed upon our hearts some areas that we need to do better in. But God, we also acknowledge that, Lord, we cannot do better without your help. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh will fail us. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do all things when the Holy Spirit works in and through us. But Lord, I pray that you would, maybe for some of us, even change our desire. Because Lord, it's not even on our radar to want to do these things. So God, I pray that you would start with giving us a right desire to walk with you, to fellowship with you, to see your Spirit work in our hearts and our lives. So God, work in our hearts to give us a desire to draw close to you. And then, Lord, may your Holy Spirit give us the empowerment we needed to be obedient, to fulfill your purpose for us in our lives. Be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this day. God, I pray that we would draw close to you, that you'd help us to get rid of the distractions, Father. Help us come back to the awe and wonder of your love, your grace, your mercy. Help us to come back to the sense of excitement of knowing You. For many, Lord, the, 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 the sense of having a burden lifted. God, rejoice. I think of David, Lord, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Renew us, Lord, with a clean heart. God, I pray that You would work in our hearts to draw us closer to You. Be with each one, God. Father, Lord, that You would just... Help them, help me, Lord, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, Lord, to model these things out in my life. And all of us, Lord, that we would do well to reflect the image of Christ in our daily living. Lord, we cannot do this without you. We need your help. So, Lord, we ask for it this morning. Give victory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.